Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You know you have a decent weekend of sport on your hands when it's barely 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning and you're already watching Peter Romani weeping on the sidelines of a rugby pitch in New Zealand after Ireland have beaten the All Blacks in a series on their home patch. The tone was very much set and the drama never let up over the couple of days. Mm. Limerick and Kilkenny delivering a classic All-Ireland with Rory McIlroy simultaneously battling to stay on course for a first major title since 2014 a battle that he ended up losing as we know now welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast Murph what a weekend how are you? <sighs> Peter Romani's in tears right off for breakfast <laughs> yeah. you know like it's, it's, it, it is pretty odd to get up that early and uh, be rewarded with such an unbelievably brilliant uh, sporting experience and yes it's not it's, it's barely even the weekend I mean, until mm. you've had your Saturday morning breakfast, is it technically the weekend? I mean, I suppose it is once you wake up on Saturday morning. And but, I wouldn't uh, mind the, the New Zealand players even before the match. You see how emotional they were in the yeah. in the anthems. Yeah. It was absolutely. It was kind of it was, it, again, like we were talking about last week with everything when when these sort of things happen. Everything always reminds me of Brazil, uh, Germany in the World Cup semi final yeah. when Brazil got a little too emotional. And I don't know, maybe that was part of what happened to you. In a way, who cares what happened yeah. to New Zealand? But I did think, Jesus, I'm only just out of bed and already I'm watching New Zealand players weeping uh, before taking the field against Ireland this one feels like it means a lot uh, they, they should just have more sporting events on Saturday morning at 5 past mm. 8 that's what I'm saying it, it does give you a good run at the day I have to it say it gives you a run at the day it also it just emotionally you know where you stand you know mm. if you get beaten fair, fair, fair enough you know the better team won at least it's done you can just you can go ahead re-enter the world for a few hours and mm. forget about it but then when you win it just puts you in a bloody brilliant move for everything that follows <laughs> for the whole day and yeah. I mean I did watch a lot of golf on Saturday and Rory McIlroy gave us a lot to celebrate on Saturday. That was a good day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then kind of, I I actually uh, uh, went for a couple of pints on Saturday night and then you realise, hold on a second, it's all Ireland hurling final weekend in Dublin and that's always a good laugh. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, I mean... To have that that amount, of, I mean, people were to, uh, were coming up talking to me about the rugby on Saturday night, and I was like, 
that was three weeks ago. Why, like, why are you talking to me about this game? And oh, yeah, wait, wait, that was that was this morning. Yeah, I haven't been to bed since then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some would say too much, Murph. Could they have rationed it out a little bit more over the summer? Uh, you know, there's, there could be some leaner months coming up. But, you know, Premier League is back soon. There's, there's, there's always something to keep us ticking over. And yeah. all the drama of the last two days couldn't possibly be contained in just one Monday podcast. We've got a second show out later today to deal with the golf and the hurling. That one is going to be free for everyone. And then our full hurling analysis with Jamie Wall and Pat Donald will go out especially for World Service members tomorrow so we'll do a little bit of hurling today along with the golf and then tomorrow we'll give look you're going to get a lot of hurling over the next couple of days if you're a World Service member that's all I'm saying this pod right here it's all about those insane emotional historic beautiful events in Wellington on Saturday morning oh you'd better believe we have a brand new audio bed for that
Captain Wellington in New Zealand, and we send you greetings wherever you happen to be listening to this broadcast. We're full of tears, and it's Ireland who have beaten New Zealand to close out the series. I'll repeat it, in case you didn't hear it the first time. Ireland have beaten New Zealand on a clear scoreline of Ireland 32, New Zealand 22. New Zealand belongs to Ireland. Oh, yes, yes. New Zealand belongs to Ireland. Well said, <laughs> Michael Corbett. <laughs> well said, indeed. Simon's with us as well, Simon. How are you? Hey, lads, how are you? He's gone all out on that audio bed, his Horgan. That's a labour yeah. of love, mm. if ever. Should I crank it up a little more? I will, says says Horgan. Yeah. Get the emotion going this, on Monday. This audio afternoon. bed goes to 11. Uh, yeah. <laughs> emotional does, does he ask himself should I crank it up more no 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 he just he, he, never he just goes that. with his heart he just he, under no circumstances will he ever ask a question like that just so, somebody, whatever somebody feels right me. in the moment yeah so, somebody did tweet me and say, and say all they wanted on Monday was just just Horgan audio beds and we could do the talking on Tuesday you know just, <laughs> just, just like constant audio for a couple of hours on Monday Justin Marshall features briefly in that bed there on commentary for Sky New Zealand he's going to be on the show today with Shane for all you World Service members who enjoyed Jeff Wilson's contribution on Friday. Jeff did warn us. If we do happen to lose, don't give me a ring. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations ahead of time. Well, we will now accept those congrats which we were refusing to accept on Friday. We thought Jeff had been true to his word, Murphy. He he seemed to be blanking us for much of the weekend. Well, listen, I I can't say I didn't warn these dorks. Yeah, exactly. uh, (laughs) He he seemed to be blanking us. He did eventually get back, by which time we'd already booked Justin Marshall in. Yeah, he got back late last night. That's actually quite disappointing in a lot of ways. It would be much better to have a report here that that Jeff Wilson had just like stormed off in a huff because we humiliated his all blacks. But no, it turns out he's a jack. Yeah, we have got our all black on today in Justin Marshall, who's who's fronting up and is ready to join a little party that we're having ourselves. Yeah, they're also delighted for us. I mean, you know, I mean, they're not that delighted. I mean, I don't know if they are. Yeah, I mean, but there was a lot of like very you know magnanimous handshakes, and I mean, they were they actually were delighted for us in Chicago. They're certainly less delighted than they are now. But I mean, I do you know they they do lose you know with 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 dignity. I mean, they they don't have that much practice at it. Um, I mean, they will tear themselves apart. Obviously, that's oh fine. yeah, they absolutely that's are. Fine. Uh, but but when it comes to us, you know, fair dues. You know, there's already talk of a um, of a review by the the governing body. They've come out and said it's unacceptable, and they they certainly haven't offered their backing to the current coaching team. Let's just mm. put it like that. But Simon, what about our own achievement and what we witnessed on Saturday? How special was it? Why was it so special for you? It was uh, for so many different reasons. Um, Take yourself from the first half and the quality of the tries, which I think stand up on their own just as as great moments of sport. If you're not an Irish fan or even a rugby fan, just the quality, the engineering to them, yeah. the style of them, like to have an Irish the team, amount of them. I think, playing, <laughs> yeah. the amount of them, yeah, <laughs> to have an Irish team playing with that sort of style and creativity and then winning really important games is kind of historic, I think. You know, we, we've won lots in the past, but to put those two things together, to kind of make you stand out of your seat, not just because it's a try, but because it's so brilliantly worked and everybody involved knows exactly what's happening and does exactly the right thing. And they got me out of my seat a few times, obviously, in the first half. And then I, I kind of would have been happy for it to go on like that. But then in hindsight, that New Zealand came back and I thought played brilliantly from sort of the start of the second half onwards and through everything at Ireland and at what was it 20 minutes to go and three points in it and it really looked like New Zealand were going to win and maybe even win handy which is what we've seen yeah. in the past you know like Rob Carney was saying at halftime 
I don't see this New Zealand team scoring from anywhere. And I really felt they could still score from anywhere. Like once Will, once oh, Will Jordan is on the so pitch. so bullish at halftime. I was, shut up, Rob. Shut the fuck up. It was. I know I mean, you are a very confident human being, but look, look, let, let us let us have some angst yeah. here. We, we don't it. all look so like you, Rob. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Life, life has given us a few beatings down over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Your hair is amazing, Rob. Just shut up. Yeah, yeah. We've all had setbacks. But he was involved yeah. in that game in 2013 when he Not scored the, he, he scored the breakaway try and New Zealand came back and won in the last second. But... Um, like the missed tackles on Yuani for his try was pretty much the only error in 80 minutes in the biggest game of our season, one of the biggest games in lots of these players' lives, with New Zealand throwing everything at us, really desperate to win this game. And when you think we put the quality together in the first half, then the second half under the cosh, through New Zealand playing brilliantly, not us playing badly, besides the missed tackles on Yuani, and then for us to come back with like a tight burn intercept, three tight burn um, poaches. Uh, the Joey yeah. Carberry intercept. The way Rob Herring, like, I thought this, like, aside from all the brilliant displays by Doris and Furlong and all the rest of them, the way that Rob Herring and a few of those, like, Finley Beelham in the scrum towards the end of Keen Healy, but the way Herring went for that mall try was, cr- like, he's not our best carrier by a long shot. He's, he's actually probably our worst carrier of the Fords in the squad. And he went for that, like, I'm a guy who does this all the time. And there was a real risk of him either getting held up over the line or getting turned over because he, he kind of isolated himself. But there was such balls and belief about it. And if Rob Herring is doing that, you know the rest mm. of the squad are feeling unbelievably good about themselves. Yeah. And, you know, there's, and there, are, there are moments in games, you know, and Johnny Sexton hits the crossbar. The ball bounces back into mm, New Zealand hands and yes. a minute later they're on they they've scored a try and you're just like, Okay, well that's fine. I mean, thanks Rob, by the way, for like absolutely <laughs> jinxing us at half time. Uh this was obviously always going to happen. And then when you see the rea- the Irish reaction to that try uh, it was just like that like um, that was I, the moment. Like that was the moment. Because I mean, like how often do you see like the crossbar is not hit all that often in rugby games. No, and, and for it to big bounce, juicy like, bounce back out. It was, New yeah. Zealand love those. They love yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. and a then they're attacking on, yeah. from unstructured play yeah. and all that. And it just uh, yeah, you're so right, Murph. Because even the way it opens up for Will Jordan, and you're like, ah, shit. You know, yeah. no matter who's back there, they mightn't catch him. And and, jo- and Johnny Sexton's not going to catch him. It's it, it's not <laughs> what, where you want Johnny Sexton playing full back against Will I mean, Jordan. S- somebody was chatting to me actually after the game on Saturday, and they were saying there was a point where Johnny Sexton was chasing him and then like had a little check in with his own hamstrings and the final year of his career was like actually it's fucking Will Jordan you're grand yeah. and the yeah, final yeah. 20 minutes of this game even he's dead right just let just let him go yeah, yeah. And we'll, leave this uh, one we'll, off hamstrings he, 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 I think he closed oh, the angle like just Ho- enough to make the conversion like on the Homer on the skateboard you know I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. oh wait a minute wait a minute yeah, yeah I thought then it just you see, and you see Sexton like obviously just exhausted from that run and, and he, the body language didn't look amazing at that point as it wouldn't after you're just ch- trying to chase mm. Will Jordan down, you know. But I, 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 would, I totally thought we were going to lose the game from there. I have to be honest. I didn't have. I don't know what Rob Carney. I would have l- liked for them to have gone back to Rob at that. Let's stop talking about Rob Carney. Just, <laughs> uh, but you know, even the most optimistic Irish rugby fan must have thought this could be gone now, and they could give us an absolute pace thing. And they didn't. And even the fact that we weirdly right, so we made it as uncomfortable as we possibly could for ourselves, and then came back. You got that try from Herring, and actually made the last couple of minutes quite comfortable again we yep. had that weird moment like a reference that we, we rarely have this where the subs it dawned on them hang on we've got the ball we're deep in their territory there's no way they can score a try and then kick uh, well they wouldn't they'd have to go for another try to win probably there's no way they're going to do that there's physically no time we've won this game and that's when it all all the emotion starts pouring out and there was the Omani 
a Manny moment, which is just amazing to watch. Did you see Keith Earls jumping off the bench for one of the tries like yeah. he'd scored it himself, you know? Yeah, and if you think yeah, about yeah. Manny, right? He was talking last November about it being the most enjoyable rugby of his career and he was on the bench and kind of just about making this, the match day squad. Imagine how happy he is at the moment that he's a key player in the team again and they're beating New Zealand in New Zealand. Greatest achievement ever in Irish rugby. Sorry. That's what some people are saying. Um, I saw people before the game comparing it to, say, would we prefer this or making it to a World Cup semi-final? No, forget that, because I've seen that. That's, 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 that, that's hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. compare it to what we've actually done. Yeah. And what we've done is obviously, you know, they were the massive achievements. A lot of them the Joe Schmidt and the first Grand Slam yeah. under. It's kind of strange because this wouldn't have happened without all the other things. You know, that first generation yeah. that did it under Eddie O'Sullivan, beating the box and the rest of them for the first time, being really consistent, the most consistent team for sort of 10 years in the Six Nations. It's sort of all part of, you know, the building blocks to get to this point. Um, but I think winning two games away from home against a really good team who really desperately wanted to win... And the fact that we did it with such style, I think, for me, I genuinely am as proud of the f how entertaining they are and how creative they are as the fact that they're winning. Now, the two things are obviously linked. You know, you don't have that creativity and you don't score those tries. They lead to the win. You know, the two things are connected. But I just sort of feel like not so much the series win or anything like that. The fact that we played so well and got better and better as the thing went on and, and put in like a few displays like Tyburn. Robbie Henshaw's defence, kind of all-time great displays, a bit like O'Driscoll in 09 Slam or O'Gara in the Wales game in Cardiff. Those kind of live in your memory forever sort of moments are, are bigger to me than saying it's better than a Grand Slam because you, you can play slams and play a crappy England team. You can play a terrible Scotland team. Whereas New Zealand always stand up and whatever about it not being the best New Zealand team, we saw what they have in that second half. Like they really can. They 25 point lead kind of never means anything against New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I will say, right, is I know you say we can play crappy England teams every now and again and blah, blah. But over more than 100 years doing that, we've only ever won three Grand Slams. I don't, and the first one, or the first one of the modern era in 2009, it had been, whatever, 60-odd years since we'd won one. We hadn't won a, we hadn't even been winning Six Nations titles in the professional era. We'd been knocking on the door so much to finally win it, even if the style of rugby in 2009 was probably not, not great for the neutrals, but to do it and to take all that pressure away and to do it in such, such dramatic circumstances away from home against a team we feel we should be beating, but they always feel they should be beating us and who end up winning Grand Slams a lot easier, it seems, than we do. I, I still think that first Grand Slam I don't know, it's close. Like, I mean, beating New Zealand for all those reasons you say, so few countries have ever done it in a, in a series. It's, it's close. Put it, but put it this way, though. Uh, the first Grand Slam and the, sec and the second Grand Slam even under Schmidt. Mm. Remember the first half of rugby? We, like, we beat England at Twickenham to do that. Yeah. Uh, playing them off the park in the first half. I, Funny, just, I would put the second Grand on, Slam ahead of the first Grand Slam. Oh, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think beating England at Twickenham to win a Grand Slam. We scored it, a lot of tries that, that year, all right? That was a, yeah, some, like, like, for, all the, for all the criti like, later criticism of the Schmidt era, we were playing some... some some top stuff when all those yeah. power plays were coming off. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, th era. I think uh, really, and you know, this is obviously like a, a, a ridiculous argument, but it's also it's, the conversation yeah. that literally everyone's been having. So you know, like it, I think it is worth exploring to some extent. Well, the first slam, really the first slam was clutch, wasn't it? When you think of Ogara and how many close games there were, the second one was like us coming to the peak of our mechanical powers, whereas this was just excellence on a level that I think other countries would genuinely say, and New Zealanders would genuinely say, wow, 
their attacking game is one of the best attacking teams we've ever seen if you if you look over the history of pro rugby and it's an achievement like we, we've always been battling our own history haven't we with with slams and how we do internationally but this was sort of battling against all international rugby in that nobody has really done this mm. since france in 94 nobody's done it in the pro era so aussies box and the rest of them will go jesus ireland have really done something here do, yeah, does I, it matter at all that it's not a, not a tournament match? You know, that it's... I don't want to use the term friendlies because that is... Different sports have different uh, dynamics at play and playing matches against New Zealand, test matches against New Zealand, <laughs> and especially away from home, are not friendly matches to any intents and, and purposes. But, you know, it's not a World Cup semi-final against New Zealand, for example. And the, the Grand Slams we're talking about there, the Six Nations titles, that, that, that's proper tournament play. That doesn't come into, you, uh, into it as a factor, does it? Yeah, I do, yeah, because that this maybe you don't want to talk about this, but getting to a World Cup semi-final will be bigger for me because for a start, the whole country will be thinking about us making a World Cup final in a sport we really care about, you know. So, and it's the build-up and the the mental as you come through it, and this might never be played for again. This is, this to me just feels like a standalone achievement, and mm. people linking it to oh, how we'll do in the next World Cup or even in the Six Nations. It just feels a little bit separate to me and you're playing the same country obviously three times in a row so you're only being measured against this one specific New Zealand team this one specific New so Zealand coach So you're saying you, Yeah I, Sorry go on Yeah I, I think it stands up there with Grand Slams but I would, I would rather us make a World Cup semi-final with a chance of making a final Okay, so mm. Simon's so, so Simon's Simon's top three top three then are number one the hypothetical World Cup semi final, <laughs> num- number two the series that we've just won, and then number three what, maybe maybe one of the Grand Slams. I'm going. I'm just about edging the Grand's first Grand Slam in the, the 2009 Grand Slam. Oh, it's close. I'm just going to have it just about top there. Murph, you sound like you're. Yeah, have well, you come to I any think it, it, uh, yeah, like a final word. Now, I just I feel like. We know the work that goes into Grand Slams, you know, like we've had like a ton of like near misses with Grand Slams. And then so to get that kind of relief is like there's something really cathartic and brilliant about it. And it has a place in like the Irish sporting psyche, the Six Nations in springtime. Everyone knows about it. Mm. Everyone's watched it. It's a thing that is both tantalizingly close and like infuriatingly out of reach for the last yes. 70 or 80 years. Being yeah, that's in, a t- in a test series is so far off the grid for Irish rugby. Like we hadn't won a game like nine days ago in New Zealand and now we've won a test series. <laughs> um, and like, but... Uh, and like the only frame of reference we have for winning a te- uh, three-match test series is like all of the bollocks talked about the Lions going to New Zealand and trying to win a test series and how like it's the biggest test in, in world rugby, etc, etc. And then Ireland have done it. Like little old Ireland by itself has done this. <laughs> yeah. So like I think it probably is the greatest achievement in Irish rugby, but I think it's not going to hit home like that to people just because it's not even something that we were, as Peter Romani was saying, it's not even something we dreamed about until nine days ago. You know what I mean? Like the idea heading over here was that we'd hopefully beat the Maori in two games and, and you know, nick a, a test win against New Zealand. That would be huge. And lose the test series, but in a way that is not like overly debilitating. You're you know right, what I mean? We're actually going to pr- process how big it is in the future rather than now. I think it's over the next few weeks, we might sort of let it percolate a little bit and think about how big it is. And yeah. the other thing is, 
you know, a Six Nations on RT, everybody's watching, everybody knows it's coming up. Like a summer series generally isn't a big deal. This is the biggest summer series we've played by an absolute mile. Mm, mm. Yeah, I do feel I've started to process it now, having listened to the audio bed there. And I'm gonna, we're going to process it some more now by talking to Shane and Justin. New Zealand to Ryan Toddy, getting for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. Ryan Toddy scores! Oh my goodness! They've managed it. It's 22 each. Have you got a chance? Uh, no. no. Uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20-point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Now Murray away to Carberry, still running with the ball, Zebo in a bit of space, and there's plenty of room too, All Blacks flying back in defence, off it goes to Julian Sarvera, he can't go anywhere, five metres scrum. Oh, what a play from Ireland, this is it really, this is it for Ireland, they can put this in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not expect them, unless they are demanded to by the referee to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Here's Heaslip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the Henshaw! Robbie Henshaw scores it! They did it! He bangs it down and oh my goodness, I think, dear I silent, this could be it for Ireland. Handy conversion for Joey Carberry to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags. triumph it is for Joe Smith, Kiwi boy, who's engineered some real history. Into the grandstand it goes. Ireland beat the All Blacks for the first time. A series win against New Zealand in New Zealand. We're st- <laughs> it's Monday morning. We're all still trying to wrap our heads around this. Shane, this is already one of our favourite chats we've ever had and I haven't even heard from you yet. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm very, very good. Uh, what a kind of remarkable, uh, well, what a remarkable tour. But uh, that game of the weekend um, is going to live long in the memory. And I did have a series of, of um, in WhatsApp group, a series of messages back and forth um, with, with Dennis Hickey just going... I can't believe this. I can't mm. believe it on both sides because I suppose where you know when we're coming from, well, one, it's never been done before, or even close to being done before in Ireland. And then if you do come from, I suppose, the era that we came from, um, you know, from the 1990s, which was sort of a dark time in Irish rugby anyway, and into um, you know the 2000s, it just you know it did seem like a million miles away from something that Ireland can achieve. So. It's um, it's a really momentous uh, time for Irish rugby. Justin Marshall probably can't believe it's happened either. But from the other side of things, Justin, we appreciate you fronting up here as you as you would have done throughout your playing career as well. How are you feeling about things today? Yeah, look, uh, why don't I get myself offside with everybody straight away, right off the bat? Because uh, I agree with Shane. To be perfectly honest, um, look, uh, I, I think you've got to be realistic. And realistically, when Ireland arrived on these shores, uh, I didn't see. Uh, them winning a game. 
Um, I thought there's a possibility that they might sneak one against the Māori, depending on who they selected in terms of their chess players to give them a run. I was really surprised that Connor Murray didn't get more game time at all on the whole tour, but I thought he might have got some midweek time. And if they gave a few guys that were spending a lot of time on the pine an opportunity against the Māori, they might sneak a game. So the fact that they've managed to not only um, win a series here for the first time, win a test match here for the first time ever, um, was totally unexpected from my perspective. And I think I was basing that off history. I think I was also basing that off the fact that, you know, Ireland had had a good six nations, but they hadn't played since then. Um, they'd had a pretty arduous season, lots of the players going deep into the season with Leinster, um, Munster, etc. So I thought the All Blacks would be much fresher, much more vibrant. They'd be slightly annoyed about what happened to them last year on the end of year tour. Uh, and they'd go out there and, and do the job um, quite comprehensively. But there you go. What do I know? How well, wrong no, Do you know what? I think it's really refreshing to hear that, mate, because, you know, for long enough, and I, I know why it was, it was because, you know, people don't want to be almost sort of bad-mannered, but I always got the impression when we're having conversations with anyone from New Zealand about Ireland's chances of success, generally, in any given game, but certainly in the Test Series, it's a little bit of lip service to say, oh, we know Ireland are good and Ireland can, you know, they're you know on their day. Uh, and maybe increasingly over the last couple of years, uh, when Ireland have got the, a couple of wins against New Zealand, you know, maybe there was a little bit more, um, you know, truth to that. But generally, I thought it was just lip service because because of the Gulf, because of the fact that it's, you know, you know over 100 years and Ireland didn't win against a, a, a game against New Zealand never came close to to win really a test hardly in New Zealand and certainly not a test series so you know with that backdrop it's actually almost impossible not to think that the status quo will remain but now because of this series because of what's happened in the recent history I just wonder if there is a little reset and there is actually you know there is a rivalry there because no rivalry existed really up to this point good point I think Shane there certainly is some rivalry there now and if there wasn't Leading into this test series, it, it certainly has eventuated throughout the course of the series, and it's a good rivalry. Like the camaraderie between the two teams was exceptional. It was really good to see. They played tough, they played physical, but seeing them interact after the game, seeing the fact that they still went into each other's changing rooms for a beer, there was a, there was mutual respect there, which was really pleasing to see. But look, I, I think the other side of it, and, and it wasn't me just being an arrogant New Zealander, was the fact that not many teams come here and win test matches, let, let alone test series. But the, the, the Lions drew a test series in 2017. You know, the odd game South Africa picked up recently. Australia haven't won here in over 10, 12 years. Not many teams actually have the ability to come here and win. So it wasn't only the fact that we were aware that Ireland were a good team and respected them. So we weren't being arrogant about it. It's just that New Zealand are really hard to beat in their own backyard. Historically, they, they, are, they are a very difficult team to put away, and particularly when there is history on the line. The All Blacks are all about protecting their legacy and looking after the jersey and what's been before. So if you're that side that loses to, to Ireland for the first time ever, you have that hanging over you for the rest of your life. Does that end careers as well? Because I get the sense it might. I meant to be a couple of guys who aren't coming back from this because it's too big of a of a tarnish and go, you know, listen, there was there was a couple of, I thought, absolutely standout performances from the likes of um, Savea and uh, and Jordy Barrett. And, you know, the scoreline would have been a lot bigger but for those two individuals. But at, at the same time, I think there's a couple of, of um, players that might be pulling on the, the um, all-black jersey again. 
It's good. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you, you're right. Uh, they've got a, a real phase that they're going to go through, through now that the players are going to have to be very aware of the fact that they, they have failed. Uh, no doubt about the fact that what, what we've formulated this respect for Ireland over is the way they're playing, the way, the way that the, the type of rugby they're playing, all the way from Chicago. And I know that they had a little bit of a lean patch, you know, post-2018 World Cup was pretty shambolic by their own admission. I was really surprised that they they lost their mojo there. And obviously under Joe Schmidt, teams, teams figured out the way they were playing. Um, so they had to evolve and they've done that since then. But they didn't come here, uh, gentlemen, with a mindset of trying to win a series and doing it in a negative way. They recognised if they're going to come here, they needed to score tries. And scores tries they did in every test match. Unfortunately, in the first one, five of them got held up over the line. <laughs> um, albeit it could have been a different result. So, you know, the fact that they were prepared to come here, like at the weekend, I was doing the commentary um, for Sky Sport. And I said to my co-commentators, I said, um, at the, in this, the second half around that pivotal time, uh, when the test match was on the line, the All Blacks had got it back to two or three, I think it was three. And I said, I wonder whether or not Johnny Sexton's got the minerals here to go for touch because he can kick this three and that, that then makes the All Blacks have to score a try. But without hesitation, bang, into touch and then they score a, a try from a rolling mall. To me, the mindset was positive. The intent was always positive and because of that, they got a positive result. Yeah, James Ryan apparently called that one. Uh, Sexton was giving Ryan a lot of credit for the leadership he showed apparently a couple of times he was the one who was saying Look, straight away just go for the corner and we we can we can do them um Shane, just before we get into the ins and outs of of how we won the series and how we won that match we've been knocking around this idea already today about whether or not this is ireland the greatest achievement in irish rugby history i'm still just about leaning towards the first grand slam as in the, the first one of the modern era in 2009 because that being the tournament we play every year and hadn't won the bloody Grand Slam since the 1940s. I just still feel, and so much came from that. That was the big monkey off the back. So ju- I'm just about still there, but I think I could be knocked off that opinion if, you're, if you give me a strong enough argument for this yeah. one. I, I don't know. Listen, I don't know if you can give, and it does. what does it matter really? <laughs> Do you know, what does it matter? 2009 was massive. There was so much build up to that. I was sort of part of, you know, 10 years before that trying to get to that point and um, it was truly momentous and that was a massive monkey off the back but if you look at you know what's what's rare is precious as I often say um, the rarity of you know beating New Zealand in a three test series you know there's only there's only two teams have done it um, South Africa in, in, in 1961 and, and the Wallabies in 86 and um, outside of that there have been other you know two sets wins or there's been alliance in 71 or four tests but you know to join that group and as I said for Ireland to be so far away from it it's a truly momentous um, you know um, historic achievement now whether you would say, would you swap that for a for a Grand Slam with the first Grand Slam? I don't know. I don't know. But listen, we don't have to judge. You just know there it is. It is huge. It is huge by any any measure. And um, you know all those guys that are uh, um, you know have contributed and a squad um, contribution as well. N- you know very much a squad contribution. That second Maori game was was uh, really important as well for for lots of reasons. So all those guys. Uh, will have um, a little bit of um, you know history, and, mm. and you know I said we spoke about this last week, and I thought about right there, so historic. 
um, the the win, uh, the first win in New Zealand, and how much more um, you know beneficial, and how, how much deeper the the, the sort of legacy uh, should they win the series? Almost because maybe I'm think I I'm kind of you know what, what is this sort of um, um, Stockholm syndrome or something? Mm. You know what? Well, I don't. Whereas I, I I couldn't see how you know because it was so alien to us um, to to have a, a series win. Well, it hadn't happened yet. You're, you're dealing yeah. with hypotheticals then, and you're dealing with the reality. And now. so, and Sergio, it wasn't just Irish history we were battling against, which we have done with slams and Heineken cups and all the rest. It was history against the rest of the world. You know that nobody's done this since France in '94. It's the first thing I feel we've done that sort of transcends our little country a little bit. In that, you know, other countries took note. Geez, yeah. Ireland have beat New Zealand in New Zealand. And also, let's you know, New Zealand are you know, no matter what, they're the sort of flag bearers for rugby. You know, and you know, maybe you know the Springboks, some South Africans will you know say that they're in the same ballpark, but they're not. You know, in terms of world sport, you know. Um, all, New Zealand almost supersede rugby. You know, we look at the way they're they're spoken about, they're, they're lectured about in Harvard. You know, all the sponsors, the type of sponsors that want to go for New Zealand are for a particular reason. It's because of their legacy, because of their history, because they they uh, transcend the sport. Um, so we can't now then devalue that. It's that still exists, and Ireland. Um, you know, with the type of rugby tradition that we've had historically and the, against the, the rugby tradition of success that New Zealand have had historically is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's quite a chasm. And to close that over the course of a series is, is truly remarkable. What about the game itself, Shane, the third test? What did you enjoy more? The first half where we played some of the most scintillating rugby we've ever played or the second half of, of the second half, say, where we showed the most mental strength we've ever shown? I, I, I haven't been as invested in an Ireland match and I've done, you know, Grand Slams since, but I haven't been um, more invested in an Irish match, I think, ever. Um, and I was watching it really, normally I'd watch it for studio, in a studio and I wasn't this time around. I was just watching it at home and never been more of a fan as well. I was living every moment. But the the first half, the standard of rugby that Ireland were playing was off the charts, mm. you know. And, and, and just to mention there, there was no no idea about containment. Like, that wasn't part of it. And, you know, we've been having a discussion or for, for a good number of years about the only way Ireland are really going to get to the top table is to double down on that that style of play and to be totally brave about it. And they were. But I think the difference between, um, you know, even that year, the end of the Joe Schmidt era, the players are now imbibed with a confidence and actually no short a skill set as well to, you know, try those, you know, those plays, those passes um, under the pressure of New- of a very aggressive New Zealand defence as well. Like, it wasn't like they weren't committed. But Ireland still had forwards pulling the ball back, the loop play, everybody very clear on what man they were trying to hold and being able to hold that man, transferring the ball across the body. Now, that seems simple, but it's not. And it's something that Ireland have, you know, had failed on. Their, the, the standard of some of those tries in the first half was mm. as good as I've seen. It was... I think, you know, without by, by a long way, it was Ireland's best half of rugby they've ever played. Justin, even saying that, would we have won it without Tyburn in the second half? He was absolutely monumental, wasn't he? Like, at really crucial times, he made some key turnovers. Certainly the way that the, the whole type five in particular, we know how good that loose forward trio are for Ireland. They are very impressive. But when the type five are functioning with them, they, then you've got triple quadruple threats. And and I, th- I thought the way that Tyg Byrne 
got over the ball at, at really important times, that's when you can, if you get your technique slightly wrong, that's when you can actually start to hurt the side because you give away meaningless penalties. So you've got to be accurate. You've got to back yourself and be confident. And he certainly was that. And what they needed then was somebody that was able to do that, that showed them we, we, we've got this. And when we need big moments to, and we need to win the big moments, you need players that are quite prepared to have the confidence to go in there and grab those moments. And Ty Byrne was one of those. He was, he was simply outstanding. I've, I've never, I've never seen very often in my time, a 20 minute period that he had before the, you know, where, where he was so influential in all parts of the game, like all over the park. He can, he can do everything. He can do absolutely everything. And and we, we didn't know a great deal about Tiger Byrne. Obviously, we knew a little bit about uh, Ryan. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's the, the the nucleus of why Ireland is such a good side. We, we knew Fun de Flair was a good player, but didn't know how bloody good he was. Like, mm. that guy is, man, he's some sort of player. And we didn't know a great deal about Doris, but the way that Omani, Doris, and and Van der Flair worked was was impressive to watch because they were in synergy. You know, they they were working together, and you know, even when they went down to fourteen men island, you could see that they had a mindset of I watched them at the breakdown, and they must have said to each other or said during that period, when it's on, one guy will have a go, everybody else stay on their feet and defend. It was very obvious that that was their mindset. Now, whether that's coaching or leadership on the field, I'm not sure, but that is a well-drilled, well-organized side. Impressive. Shane, um, one, one of the key moments, and I'd be interested in, in Justin's opinion on this, something that really surprised me, was about 10 minutes ago, there was the penalty under the sticks. New Zealand went for, for a scrum. Now, you know, you can make the decision whether they should have kicked a goal or not, um, which is one thing. But more surprising for me was that the the that Ireland dominated that scrum meant that uh, Sevilla had to pick up the ball going backwards, and, and that was the game because that you know there was a try scored there, or actually even a penalty that momentum comes up, and uh, you know I think it makes becomes more more difficult for Ireland, but it wasn't something I was expecting, and I'm just wondering if that is you know the Ireland scrum more focused if it's you know there's a sort of New Zealand mindset thinking about a couple of phases on and not focused on, on that job but I was I was very surprised given you know some of the dominance that we'd seen um earlier in the in the test series at, at scrum time um for, for New Zealand certainly a combination of both I think New Zealand's mindset is off at the moment they're not a confident side there's an element of doubt there uh, they certainly I think were thinking further ahead than the scrum and got caught out hmm. and then you could see Conversely, the intent of the Irish. The minute that they compromised Savera in that scrum, and it was massive, you're dead right, and bang on to point that out. But what they didn't do after they put him under pressure and then Fakataba subsequently, the halfback, replacing halfback, was going backwards, they absolutely then flooded that ruck. They're like nothing else. And they hit it with intensity and they forced the penalty. And and I, or the scrum, I think it was, but it was huge. The thing that I, I noted, which I, you know, Johnny Sexton, lads, he's not an emotional chap by any means. <laughs> like his speech after they won that test in Dunedin, everyone was going in New Zealand, why is he so bloody sour? He's just won a test match for the first time. Yeah. But he was he was very sort of methodical in what he was saying. He was saying, yep, we've done that. 
but we've got a job to do next week. And I thought, well, okay, you're not – look, don't get me wrong, in the changing room, he probably was the first one in there cracking open a beer and, and celebrating. But that very moment that you're talking about, that scrum, if everyone, anyone gets to watch it again, you can see in the background, Johnny Sexton's reaction. I've never seen him show that much emotion. He was clenching his fist, he was bent over, and he was yelling like nothing else. He knew how important that moment that Ireland had just won was. Shane, what about the fact that Ireland, I thought, got better and better as the series went on? And I thought New Zealand actually put in their best performance in the second half of the final game too. It just felt so much more satisfying. In the first half, I think at halftime, I would have been delighted if Ireland had carried on playing and scoring those tries, some of the best tries we've ever scored. But then when New Zealand did come back and actually played brilliantly for a good while, it made it so satisfying that Ireland figured a way out of that too. And that just, when you glance back at the series, Ireland with Mike Catton and O'Connell and Farrell and the rest of them, obviously slowly tweaking things as went on, got better and better and better. I think that's just so encouraging for the future that that happened. You know, and I have been one of the sort of, you know, uh, an ardent critic of um, you know the development of the team in the first two years of, of this coaching ticket. I didn't see the, the movement on. Listen, they are... They real. It's really obvious that they're a brilliantly coached side. You know, there's definite leaders on the on the pitch, and they know. You know, um, you know, they're, they're, as I said earlier, the skill level is high, but they are playing to a very systematic plan. And I remember, you know, when we talked about uh, Joe Smith towards the end of the Joe Smith era, and that was a big criticism. It was like, oh, the players, you know, there's, he's, you know, he wants them to, to dot every I and, and, and cross every T, and he's, he's too systematic. He needs to just let the players play. Now, in order to let the players play, I said it's counterintuitive. They, Ireland are incredibly systematic. And when they get into that system, as they do very early, very quickly, everybody knows what they're doing. Sometimes it's you know a front door system. Sometimes it's a back door system. Sometimes it's um, a two pod setup or one pod setup. Either way, you know, depends how much time, how quickly they can get into it. So everybody knows what they're doing. They then get into it, and then you've got, and this is the problem for New Zealand or other sides. Then you've got a myriad of options to choose from, and the difference is, the players are now choosing the options, the correct options under Joe Schmidt, where there was that. Right, we described before as a latent pressure not to lose the ball. Um, they would often take the most conservative route, very often, and down that's the most readable. And the defenses become faster and more line speed and more aggressive. With this you know, iteration of the Irish team, it's you know there is no um, consideration about not taking the right option. No, there's the the um, forwards so often when they're taking that ball in that first pod, they're so comfortable in pulling the ball back. How often have you seen that pullback ball that with Sexton around the corner go on the deck? Very, very few times. How many times have you seen Sexton get scrubbed? Very, very few times. And you know, conversely, remember you know a few years ago where they're trying to develop this plan. You know, ball starts going on the deck out the back there. It's a killer for what you're trying to do. Teams flood through, turn over. You know, the crowd gets, you know, what are they messing around with? Why don't you get the ball down the pitch? All that kind of sort of nonsense. Instead, you've got a team that is brilliantly coached um, from a, um, a, a tactical um, system perspective that is a very high skill level and they have a feeling and an that emotional element that allows them to take, make the right decisions. That builds the confidence in what they're doing. When you have those three things in any side, you are, you're on the you know on the cusp of greatness, and they have that at the moment. It's about maintaining it now, which is what New Zealand used to have, and and now they 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 are the team that are looking rudderless. They are the team that haven't got great method. 
that they are relying on individuals. Like, I'll say this with the greatest respect. When, when I played Ireland over my 10 years as an all-black, and even, uh, um, you know, at the old Lansdowne Road, you knew that Ireland were going to come out and they would be full of passion and pride and ferocity. Uh, and, and you didn't want to absorb, but you knew that it was coming. And you basically just had to weather the storm. Um, regardless, and, and you would do that. And then they were very capable of a Brian O'Driscoll or a Shane Organ or a, whoever it might be opening you up. They had individuals that were really, really good, but collectively as a team, they relied a lot of their energy on their heart. But you could break them down with method. If you got into your method, got into your game plan, absorbed that little bit of fire and brimstone when they come out, you would eventually wear them down and get on top of them with your own perfection in your game plan. That, that has shifted monumentally, and he's bang on. It's all to do with coaching. It's all to do with the players who absolutely know where they need to be, what they need to do. They're super confident. They've gone to short passing. So what, it's very evident to me that they've cut out long passing out of their game, which gives defence time to get up and shut down. Look at that try that Ringrow scored. It was four short passes, I think, from Sheenan. Then out the back to Sexton, short one to Arkey, then another short one to Ringrose, all within probably 10 metres. Bang, 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 try. So no 15-metre passes where the opposition can come up and shut you down, which is what the All Blacks were doing. The, the coaching and the players know that game plan so well, the All Blacks couldn't shut it down. I, I took my headphones off at halftime in the commentary and I said to my co-commentator, these guys are 50% better than us with ball in hand. We cannot allow them inside our 22. If they get inside our 22, they are that good. They will score just that's about I, every time. Uh, that's, what, that's what I was amazed about, that, that New Zealand, over the three tests, we presumed, especially after the way the first test went, that that was going to be our chance. It wasn't. We left a few tries behind us, but that we, we would be figured out by New Zealand over the course of the next two games, which never really happened. We went around the other way. But the All Blacks showed a little bit of an innovation. They've, they've, I don't want to get too technical, but, but their pod system involved tip runners, so... The scrum half will hit that first forward runner and then he'd either tip it on or he'd carry it himself. Mm. Sometimes he'd pop it out the back. But that was allowing defences to shut them down, get up in their face, and they weren't functioning. So they just went flat to a fourth ball carrier in that first test, which got out to about the sixth defender for Ireland and made them scramble a lot more and they couldn't get their outside in defence into the All Blacks' faces. Ireland, for all the, the credit, again, like goes back to being well coached. They did their homework. And as Caddy, the defence coach, I'm not sure, but whoever is in that mix, they, they figured it out. And then Dunedin, the All Blacks tried to go there and there was a defender or two shutting them down. So all of a sudden they had worked out what had gone wrong, been coached defensively to shut that down. And then in Dunedin, when that didn't work, the All Blacks quite conclusively did not have a plan B. And that was a worry, but it was really good to a really good positive sign that Ireland did their homework knew where the threat was, shut it down, no plan B, the All Blacks resorted to kicking the ball away. And, and you know what, um, just what I, I found, when you're looking at the, the, the All Blacks, I think, you know, for, you know, in this modern era, or the last maybe 10 years, you know, New Zealand being great innovators as well in the way the game is played. And listen, we know we first-hand experience of that because we were exposed to Joe Schmidt here in Leinster and also in Ireland. So we kind of knew that, Previously, maybe in the 1980s, Australia more were their sort of intellectual drivers of what's going on in rugby. That definitely passed on, you know, um, into New Zealand. Um, we look at what, you know, Canterbury do as well. They're kind of, you know, again, the, the leaders of IP in, in world rugby. Um, 
and then maybe you know Springboks do it in a slightly different way maybe maybe not as um, you know as beautiful but a different type of intellectual property you can see Ireland now are, are trying to do something you can see exactly what they're doing I'm looking at New Zealand at the moment or the All Blacks and I'm, I'm looking at them the way they play and it's almost like we've had so many good players for so many years all we need to do is get the ball to those players you know as you said a little bit of a wider pass you guys do your stuff and we'll score tries off it very often that happens against a lot of teams in New Zealand play. You know, the ball will be on the deck. There's, you know, they, they are still by a mile, I think, the best um, transition team in world rugby. They score a lot of tries almost on the, on the counter. But we're actively having to sort of make tries. Um, I think it's, it's not impossible because they have such good players to try and just get one-on-ones and, and you know, make breakthroughs, get offloads um, and get in behind the tackle line. But... I think our, I think New Zealand need a little bit more. They need to be a little bit more systematic because if you if you add that um, natural talent that New Zealand have in abundance with a little bit more structure, as I was speaking with earlier on, what Ireland are doing, then you know that's when New Zealand become almost unplayable. Shane, does does that temper your enjoyment of the tour at all? The fact that New Zealand have slipped, and I know we're number one in the world rankings now, but I think most people still say the box in France are better than us. So we obviously play South Africa next up in November. New Zealand go off to play South Africa. Should we just hold our joy a little bit until after no, those games? No, Simon, I'm going to answer oh. that one for you. I'm not holding any feckin' joy today. No, and we, we always we always have to think. We're always thinking, what's the you know what's what does this mean for us? You know, further down, what does this mean for the autumn? What does it mean for the World Cup? Mm. It doesn't mean anything for the World Cup right now. It doesn't matter. Like actually, we don't. It's how many is it years is it like we've been playing rugby you know 130 years or whatever and this has never happened we don't need to look any further than this not on this show we can do it later <laughs> on right I'm sure we will and uh, but, and I think that without a doubt it's this has been monumentally um, you know of itself it's been a, mo- a monumental success but I think it will leave a really positive or have a really positive impact you know in in the you know for the foreseeable future so that that but that is to come but no i I do not look at it anyway like that you know is this the best new zealand uh, team of all time no it's not but you know that doesn't matter one jot it really doesn't because um you know not every time that we've gone down to new zealand has it been the best new zealand team ever and wait to see you know how new zealand go over the next uh, few weeks and months as well and how they get um you know back on track and and you know that we will see a, a lot of these players play for the next year and and um in the next world cup for new zealand so there are absolutely no mugs um that is for certain and you know i don't think we need to um you know qualify it and that's one of the things i wrote this yesterday um, it's one of the things that um, I think has been part of this conversation um, uh, with New Zealand. You know, we hadn't beaten them for for a, you know o- over a hundred years. Chicago was a you know was that a um, an exhibition match? The lads were on on the beer over there. You know, Ireland came the next two wins. It, well, well, listen, it was end of season tours. Everyone was tired. Um, there's no qualifier this time round. Even last week, you know, there was you know New Zealand were down to to a 14 and then 13 men. So again, a slight little qualifier. There's there can't be a qualifier if you win a Test series in New Zealand, a three match Test series. You just have to say hats off, the best team won. And um, yeah, there's, there's no more to it than that, really. Justin, could I get your perspective just on Johnny Sexton? And his achievements, because there's been a debate over the last year or so comparing him to O'Driscoll as the greatest Irish player ever. 
And I just wonder now after this, does Sexton, whatever about him being a better player or not than O'Driscoll, has he the best Irish career ever? I'd love your perspective from New Zealand on that. I think in terms of influential players, he has to be right at the top of the pedestal. There's no there's no doubt that Dricko was incredibly influential himself. And I think he's a leading try scorer for Ireland of all time. So, you know, he knew how to find his way to the try line, Dricko. And because of that, you know, you know that you've got a player like we had, say, John Olomu, where when your backs were against the wall, they could do something inspirational. But those things don't happen in a rugby team with, without the architect, the, the, the guy sitting in the 10 jersey controlling proceedings. And, and that's much harder to do. Individual players are special and they are great to watch. But what a team needs to be successful is they need really good drivers. And drivers are the key to, are the key to a game plan and they are the key to winning test matches. And when you look at Johnny Sexton and the way he drives that Iris side, particularly in the last five years, I, well, well, put it this way, we were kind of hoping that he wouldn't play <laughs> so, um, because, because he, he is that influential. Like Joey Carberry is a really good player, but without Johnny Sexton, and it's not just because of his captaincy, without him out there pulling the strings, making the decisions that need to be made, whether to kick, whether to pass, um, whether the phase, whether to play out of your own half, whether to not, um, he's a brave tackler as well. Uh, you know, and he, he's not—he's not afraid to take the line on. He puts his body on the line. He's—he—he he would have to be, I think, probably one of the—he uh, would have to be your most influential player. Now, greatest is hard to put someone in to categorise that, but in terms of the most influential for success for an island side, who's who's done more to make them successful than Johnny Sexton? Shane, I know you're a person to get in there. Yeah, um, it, it's bizarre that we'd even sort of have this conversation given you know you know the sort of status of, of Brian O'Driscoll um, and having played with him, I think you know one is is almost a, a development of, of the other because if you look at again where Irish rugby was coming from um, at the end of the the 1990s with, you know with the exception of. Of Keith Wood, there was sort of no one at that sort of uh, elite standard, and our expectations of, of ourselves were so long. And that's what kind of still blows my mind when we're saying we won a series in New Zealand because the expectations of what you could achieve, um, you know, that that wouldn't even come in, wouldn't have even come into the conversation at that point. So, um, so Brian brought us onto an, a completely another level, uh, you know, an absolute sort of spectacular individual for the ages and. Um, you know, raised everybody's game uh, because of, of the quality of him. Sexton then came into that sort of raised environment thanks to um, uh, Brian O'Driscoll, you know. And he has, I think, probably made the most of, you know, his skill set as well. You know, he really has... De- we've developed a game that works w- um, for Johnny Sexton and that Johnny Sexton makes work. And, you know, just by the nature of him being at a 10 as opposed to a 13, it's interesting. We did the same thing when Brian was at 13. The game plan, you know, revolved around us trying to get Brian as many touches as the ball as possible or using him as a decoy. That's how you know, you know, crucially he was to what we were trying to do. Um, you know, having um, Sexton be able to do that from 10, but also empower all these other individuals. You know, so the quality of performance, the, the, the passing still gets me. I can't believe it's a guy like Dan Sheen. See the way he was passing the ball back. You know, he was holding the inside line and passing the ball back. Tyg Furlong, um, uh, Tyg Byrne. Like, there's just so many players in that Irish pack that are comfortable passing the ball. And invariably, 
that means that Sexton can get a second touch around the corner. And that means you've got another one in the line. You've also got one of your best decision makers getting that second touch and being able to attack inside shoulders and put the ball in the right space. So this overall game plan that Sexton I know has been key to has made Sexton an even more influential and even more better, uh, better player uh, within the setup. Justin, where does all this leave the New Zealand setup now? I see there was a press conference cancelled yesterday. The, the head of New Zealand rugby said the performances were not acceptable. It all sounds a little bit ominous. So uh, with one eye, with apologies to Shane, with one eye in the World Cup, do you expect to see Ian Foster as the New Zealand coach during the World Cup? And if not, would it be Scotty Robertson or Joe Schmidt to come in? You guys have been incredibly patient, actually, to lob that grenade into me. I've been waiting for it. <laughs> um, yeah, we're not in a good place. Uh, you know, the, the, the problem that I, I see it when I'm looking from externally is I'm hearing and I'm saying it's coming out of my own mouth, why can't we play like Ireland? You know, and, and, and that's a worry because you see the way that they are playing, the fluid nature of it, ball in hand, you know, the patience, uh, the, 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 the amount of options and runners that they have, the balance between a forward carry and then a back getting involved, uh, the block plays with Sexton coming out the back, you know, that, that's the style of rugby New Zealand wants to play. I think in the last five or six test matches, they've quite conclusively lost the possession stakes. So they're giving, they're giving the opposition more ball and allowing the opposition to attack them. That is traditionally not the way the All Blacks play. So in answer to your question, there's a massive problem with the game plan. Uh, the players aren't playing with confidence, but more importantly, they're not playing the way that All Black teams traditionally play in the past with the ball. Multiple threats across the park, big and physical as well. They're not; they're, they've been out physical in this series, uh, so that's throwing out the fact that their some of the selections might be wrong. If the game plan's wrong, why is it wrong? So that's why the coach has been hung out to dry. People are questioning whether or not the captain should be even starting. Um, so they back themselves into a corner there by picking Sam Kane as captain because they've been forced to play him, uh, and. Yeah, absolutely. They've now been thrown under the bus, the, co- the current coaching team and players by the New Zealand Rugby Union have said with a statement yesterday that came out saying, we are going to do a full review, which will be done on Wednesday. Uh, the current series result against Ireland is unacceptable. So read into that what you want. So mm-hmm. um, they, they haven't come out and been supportive of a coach that is contracted through until the, rugby, the end of the Rugby World Cup. They've come out and said, there are problems there. We admit that. It's unacceptable, these results. So now all of a sudden, you know, they, they are not seen to be supporting the coach. So it is, for want of a better word, a mess. And, and Justin, going into um, two games at altitude against the Springboks oh. as well. Yeah, that's it, Shane. It doesn't get any easier. And and I think that's what I said, uh, you know, and, and it, I wasn't meant to be disrespectful or arrogant. It was like, like, honestly, I can understand Ireland here and they're here with a good team. But, you know, no team beats all, the All Blacks here in a series, let alone even winning a test. So I would expect them to get the job done. And then they've got to go to that formidable obstacle of two test matches on the high out at altitude, hopefully with a bit of confidence and win them. Well, that hasn't gone to script. So, yeah, you're right. If that doesn't get any easier. Uh, then they've got Australia and Argentina. Um, and then they go on a really difficult end-of-year tour where they haven't played England since 2019 at the World Cup. 
Wales, who haven't beaten us in 69 years, who must be licking their lips. <laughs> Scotland, who have never be- beaten us ever in their history, and I'm thinking, holy shit, this could be a hell of a year. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be that bad. The Scots, the Scots are let, 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 let you down, or won't let you down, I should say. Justin. <laughs> but just, so just on the successor, then, we kind of obsess about Joe Schmidt over here for obvious reasons, but uh, I don't know, it might be tricky for him. He's For a start, he's friends with Foster, and he's part of supposed to be more of a part of that coaching team now. Uh, Scotty Robertson is maybe the people's choice in New Zealand. Who, who would take over the job, do you think? There's just so much at play to bring a new coach in. Uh, a new coach will come in with, yes, fresh ideas and new philosophy, but he'll also come in with, come in with all his own support staff. So that, that will mean buying out something like about 14 management out of their contracts, including the coaches, the physios, the, the analysts, everybody that's involved, because a new coach will want the people that he can trust. So that's a massive decision to not only buy them out of the contract, but then also pay for all the new people coming in. I don't know if the New Zealand Rugby Union are in a financial position to do that. They've been mm. suffering like the rest of the world through COVID. So the, I think where they will go, and, and it looks like it's a ticking time bomb at the moment. Like if I was Scott Robertson, I'd be, I'd be running and sitting on a, a sun lounger in Fiji if I was him and turning my phone off. But um, <laughs> I, I think that the easy solution is yes, that they need to, that they'll need to quite possibly bring someone like Joe in, who was there in the in the first test week, obviously, and that was a successful one. Um, a lot of the messages from the players coming out of that week was how they really enjoyed having him involved. Um, whether or not he wants that responsibility is a massive question as well. I, I'm not sure where he sits with that, but I'd be very surprised if there's a complete clean-out and change of coach, put it that way. But something drastically needs to change because they cannot keep functioning the way they are at the moment because it is quite clearly dysfunctional and they're not behaving like all blacks. Okay, yeah, pretty strong words. Shane, last word to you. It sounds like we've played Joe Schmidt into the New Zealand head coach's role for the next World Cup. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. It's really interesting insight from Justin there. Um, uh, you know, it's, I always think, uh, you know, when the, when the union goes, oh, we're going to do a review on Wednesday. I think maybe, guys, you might want to scratch a little deeper than a day. Um, uh, <laughs> and, you know, um, you know, something that, that's so reactive as well is generally not particularly good. But um, the pressure, you know, to do something Something is is you know, developing, a, and depending on what happens with this um, Springbok tour as well, that is going to reach a peak. Um, and at some, in some ways, I'm wondering, you know, it's kind of quite New Zealand, maybe to uh, a year out from a World Cup to realise that it's not quite right, mm-hmm. and being able to turn it around and being in a brilliant shape to being able to do it. Um, but I would say, and I said I wouldn't speak about it, but the last thing to take from from this is that. Um, you know, we have a proven sort of system that works uh, at the highest level, more than we've ever done. And even, you know, re- you know winning in Europe, our, our, always our refrain has been afterwards, but can we do it against, you know, the truly top teams in the world? And we, we've never been able to find that out because even, you know, as I said, within the Six Nations, you don't play the top teams necessarily week in, week out. We've done that now. It's a, and I've, you know, again, I've bored you guys with the talk of milestones along the development of Irish rugby. This has been a massive milestone. But more than anything, it's a singular achievement uh, for that team and that coaching unit. And um, listen, we should all be proud Irishmen um, uh, more than ever this week and, and right through the summer. We did think we had uh, we had it licked in 2018, a year out from the 2019 World Cup. But listen, I'm not going to go this, there now. Shane. Never this. Different. This okay. is this is different. I think this level, the level of achievement, the the style of rugby, 
I think we're on it. We This is at a higher level than we've Shame. seen so far. That was as enjoyable as I expected it to be. Thanks so much for, for all the chats during the series. Justin Marshall, really appreciate, appreciate you chatting today. Best of luck. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. It's been good fun. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Stupendous. Well, Shane didn't want to get too too involved in the World Cup chat just yet, but Johnny Sexton was obviously asked about it afterwards, and in fairness, he was he, somewhat similar. This is, his response was interesting. I didn't fully understand one line in it. He says, we've got a full season to play. It shouldn't be beat New Zealand and let's wait for the World Cup. There's more to play for. Big games at home in November, Six Nations. We still have to achieve more things. Uh, we've, uh, we've got one, basically want to win the championship next year. That's something we're aiming for. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be trying to progress and to do that. It's very Irish to think, oh, we have to take it easy now until the World Cup. I was thinking, is that very Irish? I didn't, I, I, maybe you can untangle that for me. Say. Well, it's 2018 Ireland. It definitely is. I mean, remember we beat New Zealand in in the Aviva and Steve Hansen said, you're at number one now. Let's see how you cope with it. And yeah. we coped really badly. We sort of batting down the hatches, stuck with the same game plan, same team. And it didn't work. And I think he's kind of referring to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that, that I, I thought that was, when I read those quotes, it was like, don't think that this rugby is going to win, is going to, mean we're going to do well at the World Cup the basically the the idea, the idea that you just kind of like uh, like st- stick this in the freezer now and defrost it for the World Cup is that that's going to work so it's not I, so much a national trait it's more just recent history of the team that he was involved yeah, in four I think years so. ago yeah I think so mm-hmm. yeah Maybe. Andy Farrell said, what did Andy Farrell say? I liked his one. He says, let's not be scared of a little bit of success. You know, hitting the straps too early again couldn't be further from our minds. The only focus is keep pushing forward. I know that. that I love his, I love his psychology on things. It's a very sort of simplistic way he puts it across, but it's, it's getting across to the players big time. And in advance of the tour, he was saying, you know, this is a chance at history. We may never get to play a series over here again, which I think is kind of tapping into a really good part of a rugby player's brain. Yeah, he's unbelievable, uh, Andy Farrell. He's done so, so well. And you know, as Shane says, he and many others had their doubts early on, but nobody has their doubts now. And even just how, the, the way Sexton is, we talked about Sexton earlier on, but just his relationship, it seems in some ways that Farrell is getting even more out of Johnny Sexton than Joe Schmidt did. Schmidt had such a close relationship with him and you know that was everybody knew about that. And yet Farrell has come in, given him the captaincy. And you know, again, similar to the way that Sexton talked about 
Schmidt, you know by the way he talks about Farrell and about the coaching team that he's loving playing for them and that he feels like he's was I about to say he's being the best version of himself? That seems to be a sporting cliche that's used a lot I, I, these days. Amazingly, I think at 37, coming towards the end of an incredible career, he's actually w- playing the game plan that suits him best. And I think under Schmidt, there was a real joy in following the orders and those orders working really well. But he's getting to sort of express himself and express his personality. And as Farrell has improved as a head coach, which he has... You know, like when he first took over at Ireland from Schmidt, I don't think he was doing an amazing job. He's got better and better and better as a head coach his first time doing it. So too Sexton as a captain, I think, has gotten way better balance, his personality, his demeanour, um, the way he controls things that, and giving power to other players, obviously. But it was interesting just to go back to Sexton's quotes mm-hmm. after the third test and saying we need to push on. It'd be too Irish to sort of rest on our laurels now. That's a guy speaking, knowing he's one year left in his career and just wants to gobble up everything he can in that space of time. But it's still significant because he he is the captain, he is the tactician, he is the brains, he's the soul of the Irish team. So if he's thinking that, that's the way they're going to go, yeah. you know. And I yeah. I genuinely do believe that's an, the most important lesson from 2018 to now is just keep pushing on in the way they did against New Zealand. Like they just kept going at New Zealand, no matter whether they were winning by 20 points or it was down to a three-point game, they kept going for the juggler, which is such an encouraging sort of personality trait. And, you know, mental strength has been the one thing about Irish rugby for all that we've done, that feeling in a World Cup of, whoa, we're just mentally vulnerable when the pressure comes on. The best sign yet, I think, was in this series that we may have turned the corner on that. Ah, that was an enjoyable show, I must say. Mm, really <laughs> was. One of the more enjoyable ones we've had for a while. We have still got McElroy and Limerick's three in a row to deal with elsewhere today and even more Limerick. <sighs> Bloody yeah, Dad. Do, we have, should... do, do you have it in you, Owen? Do you have the energy ah, levels? Yeah, yeah. You're, gonna have oh, yeah. To, you're just going to have to stare into the pit of your have soul. Have you got the minerals, Owen? Have you got the minerals <laughs> is the big question. Have you, have you the stones for this weekend to of sport, McDevitt? Like talk about all this sport. I believe I do. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. And thank you, Simon. And well done to you you and the the, uh, the wider rugby community. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, I. Thanks, Owen. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to sign up to the World Service to hear our full coverage tomorrow of that amazing All-Ireland final. As I mentioned, you can hear Monday's shows later on, the second Monday show, for free. That's our gift to you. All we ask in return is that you think about signing up to the World Service, secondcaptains.com for a fiver a month plus fat. The Second Captains podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Bye now. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.